Good morning, planet Earth. It's just after 8 a.m. Mountain Standard Time here in Utah. Yes, all the animals, the farm animals, the sheep and the lamb, the, the barn cat and the cow, they're getting up. They're heading down to the trough, them pigs, them cattle, they're going to get themselves some kind of feed. The farmer and his wife will dish out potatoes and soup and comuli. They will unburden themselves. They will ungundulate to the rhythm, you know, of howling coyotes, baby. That's farm life. That's, that's the life of a farmer. They will ungundulate themselves and release themselves. They will untie and unburden their loincloths and they will be farmer man and farmer woman because it is February the 14th, isn't it, baby? Just after 8 a.m. on a Tuesday, it's Valentine's Day. Do you have a, a slow time lover out there? Do you have a man or a woman you want to ungundulate? Is there some lady whose boobula calls out to you in the darkness of night? That's right, baby. Yeah, it's Tuesday. It's Valentine's Day, February, February the 14th, 2023. I'm going to drink a little bit of my spiced hot cocoa. I got a little bit of that congestion. If I sound nasally, I apologize. I'm guilty of all crimes of nasalness. Fuck you. Fuck you. Uh, the physical therapy update for my left arm. It, my arm's getting better. I'm going to try to take it to the next level this week. Um, I'm going to start trying to use maybe a little bit of weight. I don't know. I know that my doctor said take it easy, and he's right. I should. But at the same time, um, I have to believe I'm healing. I feel like I am, and I don't want to be you know, in this situation permanently, especially not even permanently, but even short term, especially when you consider current events. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen next. Neither do you. We don't know. Nobody really knows except for God. But I suspect that the coming attractions um, reflect what might actually be coming. And so far, what we've had, in my opinion, is mostly bullshit. I mean, if you ask me what I talked about in the great discontinuity in 2019, um, you could argue we're not really quite there yet because so far it's been controlled burn bullshit. It's been monkey herpes, COVID, not COVID nonsense. It's been race war nonsense. It's been the never ending gender war, trauma drama nonsense, you know, add in the Ukraine. I don't even know how fucking real that bullshit is. Um, yeah.
So I don't know what to tell you, baby, but it is Valentine's Day. And if you got somebody special out there, hopefully they don't have genital crabs. If you have somebody special out there, hopefully they're going to make you a special kind of porridge tonight out of lamb and mint and grombo. If you have a hooker lover, she walks the streets. Do you have a hooker lover? Do you have a, a stripper you're in love with? She, she works at Prince Machiavelli's in El Paso, Texas. She goes up on stage. Her name is Darcy. You're in love with a hooker stripper. You've got yourself a stripper lover. And it's Valentine's Day. So what do you get her? You know, I say get her an STD test. <laughs> yeah, get her a free test at the free clinic. Give her a ride there. I don't know. I'm being a dick. I don't know what to tell you about Valentine's Day. Currently, um, I don't have a Valentine in that romantic sense. I, I don't know that I fucking care. Um... I think that one of the ways you can see humanity at this point is as a huddled mass of people, huddled and befuddled and confused and under disco lights of amusement and they're drinking and they're smoking and they're hanging out, you know, in the year 1980 on Mount St. Helens. And they're partying and they're drinking and they're building cabins and selling those cabins for one million on Mount St. Helens. You know, right on Spirit Lake. And yeah, they like Harry Truman, that old motherfucker with his 18 cats and his 17 tons of whiskey. So if you're asking me, do I want a girlfriend to hang out with on Mount St. Helens? And the answer is, I don't think so. You know, if somebody, if somebody came along and I were to fall in love, which is a big fucking if at the age of 53, um, I don't know. I mean, that could happen. The problem is, I probably want things I can't have. And... Most of these women out there that I'd want, want things they can't have. And we're going to just dance around each other until it just doesn't matter. And then what happens on the other side is called survival. I mean, really. I mean, here's the deal. If you think you run the world and you've been able to do anything you've wanted as a tribe or group of people, and this is not anti-Semitism. When I say tribe, I don't mean Jewish people. I mean the elite, this group of people, if they've been able to do their wicked, crooked shit for thousands of years, then why would they stop? 
You know, this is a question. No one's given me a satisfactory answer. It's like, well, they're going to have a one world. They already have control. They had so much control. They turned off the world for all intents and purposes in 2020. They had all the power they ever fucking needed. They didn't need any more. So riddle me this. Why would they pull the plug on it? Why would they set fire to the, to the entire scheme? And there are potentially lots of explanations. You know, the the... The nicest one at this point that I can hold on to, and this is me bargaining for lesser catastrophes, is the collapse of the dollar. It is the rebuke of the U.S. dollar. It is U.S. Treasury bills going to their real value, which is at least zero, maybe negative, but probably zero. The zero value, value treasury. It's, it's that all of this promises, this all of this fiat nonsense is basically, you know, coming to a head. And it won't be pretty. I mean, we're looking at the train wreck of the first truly global empire in in the history of the world, or at least the last seven, eight thousand years. It's not gonna be pretty, but that is the best case scenario. That they've been mind fucking us for the last few years because they know what's coming. And they just want to manage shit till they can get out of Dodge. But here's the, here's the key. The only way they survive in whatever bunker or rat hole or rabbit hole they crawl into is if we are not coming for them. Because frankly, I think a lot of people will be. And the only way that doesn't happen, and this is really critical, okay, this is important. Doesn't matter what you think is coming. This is going to give you a measure of what I believe is coming. The only way they can safely go to their rat holes, the only way they can safely go to their bunkers, is if the rest of the people out there are either A, dead, or B, too busy just trying to fucking live. And B's probably mostly more likely. Yeah, there'll be a lot of dead. But it could be as simple as, we're all going to be too fucking busy trying not to die. And so we won't be thinking about loading up attack helicopters and heading to Antarctica to take out all the pedophiles and empire builders and neocons and fiat bankers and other types of sundry scumbags and Satanists. We're going to be too busy trying to find food. We'll be too busy trying to find water. We'll be too busy trying to protect our families from, you know, frankly, the humanity that's been raised by the public schools. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. That's the only way they get through this. That's how these grifters grab their bag of loot and leave town, with the knowledge that the people in town are going to be too busy putting out fires. They're not going to be able to, to put together a posse. They won't be riding horseback. They're simply going to be trying to survive. And when you see it from that perspective, brothers and sisters, you can understand why sometimes I do get a little bit negative. I mean, I do, because there it is. So if that's the world, if that's where we're at in the game, what what do I need a girlfriend for? Mm. Now you can say, well, Dan, there's always love. There's always children. Life goes on. And this is all true. But that kind of life in the world to come is a young man's sport. I'm going to repeat myself. The life of life goes on. You get married. You fall in love. You have kids. Maybe not in that order. The life of that life is a young person's life. I'm not a young person. I have no expectation or belief that my um, 
my mortality, my life will extend to some maximum defined by some analyst. You know, I have no expectation that my own life expectation in terms of age and whatnot is going to be into the 80s or 90s. I don't expect that. I'm not sure I'll reach 70. I would be surprised if I matched my own dad's age, which was 68 when he died. And that's where I'm at today with all this. So if someone says, well, are you sad on Valentine's Day? Not really. I, I'm on Mount St. Helens, and I'm with a bunch of people, and most of the people I know are partying and enjoying themselves, and God bless. I mean, God bless. If you know you're on Mount St. Helens, and you're at least aware of what's going to happen or could happen, then it's okay to say, you know, I'm going to enjoy myself. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. This life is yours. If you're a Christian, you probably should shoot for a little bit more, but the reality is this life is yours to live in whatever situation you're in. And the only person that really knows the future is a guy named God. And I'm not God and you're not God. We can make guesses. We can have theories. We can have conjectures. We can pretend we know, but we don't know. If I had a Valentine's Day woman, you know what I'd say? I'd say, you are my mountain cat. And I would say, I am your water snake. If I had a Valentine's Day style woman, I'd say, you are my dirt princess. And I am your ocean stew. If, if it was Valentine's Day and you were my woman, you would rub your boobula. I would make life bigger with cheese mind. The Wookiee people, they're out there. Up in them there, you went to mountains up there, you know. They live off of old possum and freak bait. They can't abide Mormon-style hookers and the lost engine kingdoms. They wait, the Wookiee waits, Oma waits, Yeti waits, Bigfoot waits with patience. They stare down at us. Yes, the Wookiee people, they wait beyond the ridge line. They wait up beyond the, the line of the forest, the timber line. They stare from the dark forest out at us, down at us, in our valleys, in our suburbia, with our Teslas and our hooker wives and our craft beer. And they dream of the day they get to come on down. But they got patience. They stare deeply into their own crooked, dark souls. And they await, the Wookiee awaits a time when the Wookiee can attack. And they will receive a sign from heaven. It'll probably be another Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, it'll probably be some fucking Indiana Jones movie. Indiana Jones 
and the hunt for the rascal scooter, or maybe, I don't know, Indiana Jones and the, um, where am I? What's my name? That'll be a good one. Indiana Jones and the double hip replacement. This will be great. People will love this one. Indiana Jones and the prescription refill. That's a real fucking adventure. Fuck you. Indiana Jones and the procedure. It's just a procedure, Dan. It's just a procedure. Indiana Jones, and it's just a procedure. Indiana Jones, and I hope it's not malignant. Indiana Jones, and I'll take all the blue pills. Indiana Jones, and incontinence. In fact, they better have some Indiana Jones incontinence commercials pretty fucking soon using the first movie and that giant, you know, that giant rolling stone rolling down that sphincter of an anus pipe someplace in South America. <laughs> yeah, that's a euphemism. I Have you been to South America? That's what you say to your hooker lover tonight. Hey, honey. Have you ever been to South America? We both get to play. Look what look in the bag. You just strap it on, baby, and that's the rocket ship that takes you to South America. you South America. Yes, the Wookiees await the time when it's Indiana Jones and the Medicare scam. Or Indiana Jones and the blue paste the nurse makes me eat. Or Indiana Jones and the villages, America's hometown. Yes, indeed, the villages. I don't have to tell you, brothers and sisters, it's fucked up. It is messed up. We live in strange times, but it is Valentine's Day. And if you're in love with some hooker woman or stripper woman, God bless. God bless. Did you get her roses, flowers? Did you get her flowers? Did you know that the flower is, is the boobula? Yeah, it is. It symbolizes the boobula. When you bring the flowers home, you're basically telling the, the woman you love that you're really interested in her boobula. You think it smells nice. These are all, well, these are half-truths. Get used to it, baby. When you think your woman smells like Sleevix and squirrel grease, get used to it. Get used to hairy legs, baby. This isn't Hollywood. This isn't a TV show. In that Mad Max future, 
in that post-nuclear apocalypse, there'll be no shaving legs. There'll be no Brazilian. Get used to hairy legs, baby. Get used to stubble. Now you'll understand why they wore those those big hose, those hose, those pantyhose, pantaloons. Now you'll get it, you fuck. Your woman or man will rub themselves with quelf musk and sprinkle rock salt on their junk as part of their mating ritual. It's probably starting tonight. Get used to it. It's coming. Just get used to it. Accept it. Don't be a fucktard. People will chase you with baseball bats and mutter filthy things about you and your cats. People will vomit ire onto your brand new concepts and then dump your body down by the fake lake outside the building where you work so the mutant catfish can feed on your disgusting muffin top. That's right, fucker. Get used to it. Do you know anyone, I mean any old scro, that ever thought, well, I'm sure, I'm sure glad shingles cares. I'm so glad that shingles, a disease, cares. And then you're so shocked when you see a commercial that says, well, shingles doesn't care. And they said, okay, that explains why shingles doesn't return my fucking calls. Shingles doesn't care. Don't tell me that on Valentine's Day. <laughs> but you better get used to it, that's all I'm saying. You find it near the river of forgotten stripper love. A greenish-brown mold that is collected from under rocks. You squeeze out that special paste and it becomes your juice. That's cob juice. That's cob juice. Yes, indeed. Here's a quote from Dr. Freckles. Um, we don't need guns, question mark. Buddy, we don't need armies. What does Dr. Freckles mean? So I've talked about this a number of times before, and there may be a variant of this quote that's already gone into the record. It's possible. I'm getting old, and my mind is turning to soup. But what do I mean by this whole, we don't need guns, and yet the response is, we don't need guns. Well, we don't need armies. You see, here's the thing. If you're interested in living on a planet where there is no violence, I don't know how to put this, but whether you're an atheist or a Christian, whatever your foundational belief is about the cosmos, you pick the wrong cosmos, you pick the wrong fucking planet. Violence is a thing. But violence doesn't have to mean we all go around killing each other. Violence doesn't have to mean we organize into thug groups and we go around hunting each other in thug armies. We don't have to do that. Okay, We probably do need to be willing to defend ourselves. And that's one of the reasons why I consider a corollary to the non-aggression principle 
the fact that probably everybody should be prepared to defend themselves. That's the other side of bullies suck. That's the other side of you should not aggress on others is that you should also be able and willing to defend yourself. Otherwise, believing in the non-aggression principle is like believing in pixies. It's like believing, oh, maybe the fairy princess will grant me liberty. No, there is no fairy princess that grants any kind of bullshit like that. If you want to live a free life, and this has always been true, you have to, you have to protect your own freedom. This has always been true. I don't care if you want to say there was once a time in America. Every day in the history of this country, in the history of the world, in the history of the human race, if you wanted or needed or desired to be free, it was always your fucking choice. And it was always you that was going to protect it. Period. And that doesn't mean we have to be violent. It doesn't mean we have to be monsters. You know, I, I think about this little dog, Boomer, this uh, bone, uh, bone mouth Sharpe, and where he came from. And he came from a place where they were torturing him to be a fighting dog. And I don't think that's in it. I don't think it's in dogs. I don't think it's in wolves. I don't think wolves spend all day thinking about how they're going to kill other wolves. Do they get into fights? Probably. Is there pecking order? Probably. But does it in any way probably ever just necessarily lead to death? Probably not. And I don't think dogs have it in them to want to kill each other. So imagine the amount of torture you have to pour on a dog to get it to want to kill another dog. I don't mean fight. I don't mean bite. But to actually just want to kill it. Yeah, you know, dogs can get violent. And that can happen. But it takes a lot of torture to get you there. Well, guess what? That's also true with people. To get people to the point where they want to kill each other on a large scale, just any old stranger they don't even fucking know, they'll be told some kind of bullshit, oh, Putin and Russians and Russians are bad people. Ergo, let's, let's just drop bombs on them. Because, you know, some fucking talking head said they're all bad people. And it's not like that shouldn't be a red flag, but it's not. They're all bad people. All them there Russians are shitheads, aren't they? You know. We, I think we need guns in the following sense. We need to... Be prepared to defend ourselves and defend others. It doesn't mean everybody needs a Glock. Personally, if I was ever to carry, you know, publicly, like in public, um, external carry, I would carry a Ruger Blackhawk. That's a single action revolver. That's the kind of technology that goes back almost 200 years, with the exception of the cartridge and the power of the bullet. But beyond that, the basic design of a single action revolver hasn't changed much since the early 19th century. Yeah, there have been improvements, but it, but it's not a Glock. It's not designed to, to allow you to be an aggressor. It is really a, a weapon of defense. And that's why I would carry it. I would carry it because I'd become good enough with it that I could defend myself or defend others. But I wouldn't carry it because I wanted to scare people and say, look at my scary weapon. I want to, you know, take you out. So me personally, in a world where people didn't get obsessed over the issue... I would wear an old-timey, you know, Colt 45-style Ruger Blackhawk, probably chambered for 357, you know. And if you say, but Dan, you only have, like, what, six bullets or whatever? 
you know what? If you're in a situation where you need more than six bullets, you're going to need at least six friends. You need at least six friends. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'd carry a Red Hawk so at least I could have speed loaders. But the point is, you know, because of the old-timey ones, you can only load a cartridge one cartridge at a time. You can unload it that way. It's it's very slow. So maybe I would get a, a Ruger Red Hawk 357. But the bottom line is I get a revolver because I wouldn't really feel the need to project any idea that I was somebody who was a threat. You know, it, that's what I would do anyways. But the bottom line is you should be able to see a difference between the desire to want to defend yourself and this idea that we should make armies to go around the world doing some nefarious thing that will never be fully explained to us until it's too late. It'll be many, many decades later that maybe a historian explains to us, oh yeah, you know, that Vietnam War, that Gulf of Tonkin, that was all bullshit. Oh, you remember the Maine, the Spanish-American War? Oh, that bomb was probably set by the U.S. government. Yeah, that was probably bullshit. You remember the stories from the first Iraq war of the baby incubators? And, and yeah, that was probably bullshit. They'll come back, they'll, later, much later, they'll tell us there were no weapons of mass destruction, that these were all lies. And we know they were lies, and we can put them in the history books if there are, if there is anybody, okay, 50 or 100 years from now, left alive to write a history book. Or, or at least in a situation where it makes any sense. That Maybe that's more accurate. If there are people a hundred years from now who have time for history, then yeah, maybe they'll try to tell the truth then if the truth is left. If through some kind of dark age, the truth is left. And who knows, folks? But what I do know is this. You, you do need to be able to defend yourself. And you don't necessarily have to own a gun to do that. But I'll be honest with you. Owning and knowing how to use a firearm is one of those ways you can defend yourself and the people you love and your property. But the one thing that is optional and you don't need to have and you never need to have are armies. You know, the only exception I can think of is if somebody invaded a free country. But who would do that? Who would invade a hornet's nest? Who would? We're not army ants. Those of us who want to be free, we're not army ants. We don't want to go around the world taking your shit, but we're a little bit like hornets. And if you want to visit your bullshit on us, you'll you'll have you will have as many barrels as there are blades of grass. You will have that situation. But um there you go. Enough of my speaking on the issue of guns. But Dan, don't we need to go attack Putin? No, no we don't. I don't even, and again, I don't think Putin's a good guy. I just don't think we have to have anything to do with Russia or Putin or the Ukraine. That there are no good guys in any of these scenarios. The wisest decision, if any of this is real, and like I said, brothers and sisters, I think the Ukraine war could be 100% bullshit. It could be wag the dog bullshit. I have no idea. But if it's a little bit real, then it's very dangerous. And the wisest thing our government could do would be to figure out a way to get, you know, Zelensky and Putin to the peace table. That would be the rational fucking thing to do at this point. That would be the statesmanlike thing. The fact that you have all the rhetoric telling people that um, you can't trust, you can't be friends with, we have, to, we have to break Russia apart. There are people talking about that openly. Like it's a thing we have a right to do. Brothers and sisters... 
that's not going to end well, especially if, you know, nuclear weapons are real. Who knows, right? These days, I kind of hope they're fake. Because if they're fake, it means that at least one scenario is off the table. But I, w I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't wager on that right now. I would wager on the idea that if the Ukraine war is at all real, then it's dangerous. It's something that should be stopped. It's not something that should be promoted. We shouldn't talk about fighting there for decades. We should figure out a way to turn it off. And, and there are no adults in the room. What does that tell you? You know, it tells me between the Chinese balloons and the fucking chemical accident in New Palestine that seemed to have been foreshadowed by a Netflix movie. Yeah, a weird ass Netflix movie. I forget the name of it, but fucking weird as fuck. Yeah, all this nonsense is telling me that the dial they turned on took control of in 2020, the, the dial that turned up and down the, the military psychological warfare, they're turning it up still but it's starting to sputter. The stuff, the trauma monkeys that are popping out of that Pez dispenser are getting dumber and dumber and dumber. They're getting so fucking stupid that it's hard to believe people take it seriously. And I interpret that personally as we're very close to a tipping point in some direction that's going to be way different than what any of us are used to. And that's the nicest fucking way to put it that we are reaching a tipping point. And I don't personally think it tips towards Hawaii or the villages or any place nice. I don't think it's tipping good places. I think it's going to be hard. And I don't believe we'll be able to use things like, well, it'll be like the Great Depression or like the 1970s. It's, good. it's not going to be like anything anybody in living memory has ever fucking experienced. It will be pretty bad. We're probably talking about a century, a hundred years worth of bad decisions. All of them coming, you know, to all of all of those chickens coming home to roost at the same time. That's that's the comparison I would make. A hundred years of stupid, piled up, under pressure, you know, more explosive than C four, and it's yeah, it's going to go off. That's where we're at in the game. Next topic. Here's another quote from Dr. Freckles. There's the surface mind and the deep mind. We play with the surface mind. The deep mind plays with us. That's Dr. Freckles. What is the surface mind? It's metacognition. It's executive function. It's consciousness, baby. It's being aware that you're aware. That is the surface mind. The surface mind is metacognition. It is executive function. It is consciousness as we understand it. It is being aware that you're aware. It's being aware that you're here, that you exist. And I don't think it's exclusive to people. You know, I, I kind of agree with John Searle. Um, and if you don't know who that is, he's a famous American philosopher of the last 50 years. Um, he had a thought experiment called the Chinese Room that dealt with artificial intelligence. It's worth looking up. But, you know, I saw him lecture once and he said, I can't prove it, but when I look in my dog's eyes, I know there's, that something's going on, that there's something going on there. 
And when I look in Boomer's eyes, I know for shit there's something going on. A lot going on. That little dog's not some little Cartesian clock, you know, or machine. So consciousness is out there. More than just people. You know, are, are they going to be out there making orchestras and shit? Probably not building computers. But consciousness is, is out there in more creatures than we realize. And they get to experience the surface mind. The mind of play. The mind that is a tool. The mind where you learn mathematics and you do crazy shit. The mind where you program a computer. The mind where you create music. That's not this. They get to experience that too. Um, I, I hung out with an African gray parrot once for several weeks and it was obvious to me that that little African gray parrot had consciousness. It, it was able to think about the world and it was able to form very rudimentary sentences and come up with new concepts like straw banana, which in, in the case of Mr. Juma meant he wanted the strawberry banana treat. So he was able to put ideas together. Well, there's something going on there that's playing with the surface mind. But then there's the deep mind. There's the deep mind. It's the unconscious. It's the reptilian brain. It's emotion and chemistry, and hormones, and neurotransmitters, and metabolism, and a lot of fucking darkness, baby, in that deep mind. One could argue that dreams, the, the movies we watch when, we, when we're sleeping, if we remember them, one could argue dreams are a process, uh, a manufacturing process of the deep mind. And the deep mind is a mind that for the most part you don't have a ton of control of. I mean, you have a little bit, but the deeper you go, the less control you have. You could argue the deepest part of the mind is the brain stem, which, you know, snipers call the switch. And, and I don't have to put this to you. Yes, there are yogis who claim they can control their cerebellum, and they can control their brainstem. There are yogis who claim they can control their heart rate and their blood pressure and their cholesterol and the size of it and the color and girth of their poop. They can do this, and maybe they can. But for ordinary people who aren't magical yogis, the cerebellum and the brainstem are the deepest part of the mind in many ways. Perhaps the deepest would be all of the, the neuronal complexes in your body. But it's a part of your mind you don't remotely control. And if you lose it, pretty much you die. Like if somebody hits you in the back of the head hard enough, right in the back of the head, below, below the, the, sort of below, right below the edge of the skull, if they hit you hard enough, you just, you just be dead. Your heart stops, you stop breathing, you're dead. It's a switch. They turned you off. And maybe somebody could revive you, but chances are that's never going to happen either. The deep mind is the mind that is brutal. The deep mind is savage. The deep mind is weak. The deep mind often lets in the devil to play around a bit. But it's just the mind, Dan. 
Yes, but I think Christ said something about, you know, what sins are. And uh, it includes sins that are just in the mind. The deep mind is Freud's unconscious. It's his id. It's his, it's his id. It's his superego. The deep mind is Jung's collective unconscious. The archetypes, the the forms of truth that represent chunks of human culture going back to the beginning that seem to just be a part of who we are. These structures that seem to exist, and in, in a sense, almost in a extrasensory perception kind of way, that this collective unconscious is connected. That that's another belief about the deep mind. The deep mind is a mind that's connected. And before we go too far off the deep end, um, there have been neuroscientists and computer scientists who have postulated that the brain is a quantum computer. And if that's true, it means it can get, you know, potentially entangled, entangled with other minds, that potentially there could exist a collective unconscious, not, in, not simply in terms of all of the archetype, archetypes that are the cultural archetypes of history, but that there could be a collective unconscious in terms of people being connected. Yeah. But, you know, again, the deep mind is also that place that Freud talked about, the place of sexual and violent passion and where monsters arise. There's a science fiction movie from the 50s called Forbidden Planet. And it's actually one of the better science fiction movies of the 50s. Uh, frankly, of the la of, you could argue of the 20th century. Like, even though it didn't necessarily have the special effects, nearly the special effects of Star Wars, you could see in Forbidden Planet the um, sort of the beginnings of, of some real modern special effects. So it's a great film. But one of the ideas in the film is that there was this advanced species of, of, of beings, billions of years ahead of us, so super advanced, they turned their entire planet into a giant reactor, they harnessed all the energy they could, and they had a dream of transcending their bodily forms, you know, being pure, pure mind, pure mind that can do things purely by thought. And they do it. They build a machine that allows all of them to become pure mind. And they, you know, probably upload themselves into the machine. And then in one night, in one night, in one savage night, their entire Krell, because that's their name, the Krell, their entire civilization is destroyed. And one of the messages that these astronauts who landed on the planet got from the learning machine one of the messages or ideas that they got from being able to read the sacred text was monsters from the id, monsters from the subconscious, monsters from the deep mind, you know. One could argue that the boundary line between surface and deep is not fixed. I'm not saying that you can go all the way one or the other, but it does appear that the deep mind can take over, that it can hijack. In fact, maybe even give rise to a completely separate consciousness. This does sound scary, but it looks like there's evidence of this being a thing. 
And then there are the yogis, those yogis who claim they have such total consciousness that there is no deep mind, that the entire mind is a known mind. There are those philosophers and monks who claim to meditate and achieve total consciousness. They're sitting in their isolation chamber. They just did a doobie. They took some shrooms. They had the ayahuasca. And now they have comprehensive total control of their entire mind. I, for one, think that I believe that sounds really fucking stressful. You know, I, I, I kind of, I'm happy I have a cerebellum. I'm happy I have a brainstem. I'm happy I have nerve clusters that can solve problems. Um, I would not want to be fully, completely conscious of every fucking stupid thing going on in my body. One of the reasons why we have endorphins, one of the reasons why we have internal pain management systems is so we don't go fucking batshit crazy. Because if we didn't have these internal systems, we would, we would suffer a trauma and it would be more terrible than anybody could imagine. But our body does what it can to keep a lot of things secret. And let's just put it that way because I think Sigmund Freud would appreciate it. Our body does a lot of shit to keep things secret. Our body does a lot of stuff to keep things hidden up to a point. Up to a point. There, there will come a point where it becomes obvious you got to do something. But your body will try to take a pain and make it go away. You don't need to take any drugs. You don't need Roxy or Oxy or any of that. Your body is designed to deal with pain under normal circumstances. Anywho, Dr. Freckles quote once again, there's the surface mind and the deep mind. We play, we, we play with the surface mind the deep mind plays with us. You know in the dreams it does. When you're dreaming of your sweaty boyfriend, the one from high school football, it was 30 years ago, you remember him so clearly. Next topic. So I've got a link here to an article, and I know I promised I wouldn't read the news, but this news is so fucking critical. This news comes from the New York Post, and it was published on February the 10th, 2023, Bo Blimpdoc. The, the journalist or writer here is Brooke Cato. Headline, my husband won't forgive me for farting in front of him. I'm devastated. Oh, and I read on. It's better not to bottle things up. A married woman revealed that her husband allegedly called her flatulence absolutely revolting after only farting once in front of him during their nine-year relationship. The anonymous wife confided in KidSpot readers that she was aware of his distaste for inappropriate public displays of bodily functions, namely burping and passing wind. She recalled that one of her friends let out a belch and he spent the entire trip home rehashing how gross it was. After hearing his very strong thoughts on the topic, I made a mental note to ensure my own expelling of gas was done in a very private manner and contained within the bathroom and toilet and until he was not around to hear it, she wrote. 
That is, until one night her guard was down and the post-pizza gases came back to haunt her. Lying in bed next to him, her husband, she accidentally let one rip and, and was met with disgusted look. Oh, this is so poignant. Farting is the most unladylike thing a woman can do, especially in front of her husband, he told her at the time, calling it revolting. She admitted to being embarrassed. It was a fart she would be humiliated by even if she was alone on the toilet, absolutely mortified that she had finally slipped. The following morning, she apologized to her disgruntled partner, but to no avail. While at the time he accepted my apology, ever since it has happened, he keeps reminding me of it in different ways, as if he's teaching me a lesson and making sure I will never do it again, she wrote. For example, she added, if they're watching a show or movie and someone cuts the cheese, he'll remind her how disgusting it is by making a disgruntled noise or even talking about how uncivilized it is afterwards. The unnamed wife kept her disgrace to herself until she couldn't take it anymore, finally turning to a friend for some relationship advice. Instead of suggesting anything helpful, the woman wrote her outraged friend immediately berated the husband for his behavior. Okay. Her friend insisted that she shouldn't feel guilty about it and said that farting and burping is a natural bodily function for anyone. Well, that's probably true. While I understand that for many people like my friend that burping and farting in front of their partner is not a big deal, for my husband it is, the anonymous writer continued. It is really only thing that is a big deal for him, and while others may say it isn't important, for me it is, because for my husband, who I love, love, and who in every way, other way is so wonderful, thinks it is, she added. But holding in farts could cause a stink and land you in the hospital. One 19-year-old held, held in her gas for two years at, around her boyfriend, earning her a trip to the emergency room due to pain. Clinicians discovered her appendix had burst, leading the poor girl to believe it was due to her holding in her farts. Another fear, fearful woman had dangerous gas buildup because she couldn't let it rip, claiming she wasn't on farting terms with her significant other. Okay, that's the article. And like I said, I promised I wouldn't read any news really, but you have to ask yourself, what kind of news was that for Valentine's Day? The good news, you know. God, farting in bed. People fart. This is a very, it's a scary idea people don't want to think about. People fart. If they're forced to think about it, they have to go down this process. And, oh, my God, Dan, people fart. You're saying there's gut flora. The gut flora breaks down food. In the process, many of them generate methane. And that methane builds up, and that's your fart. That's where the fart comes from. The fart doesn't come from the food. The fart comes from what your gut flora does to the food. That's where the cow farts come from. Arguably, that's where every biologically defined fart comes from, gut flora. 
So your gut floor is breaking down food, it produces methane, and there you go. Now, can you eat foods that produce less methane? Probably. I don't know. Maybe. I, I feel like farting is a thing, but then I'm a guy. And the girl's going to say, oh my God, you're a guy. And, I, you know, as I can recall, I don't think my ex-wife enjoyed it if I ever farted in bed. And in, in a way, it's like if the dude is not farting at all, he's probably getting sicker and sicker. That's probably true. But, you know, I guess he has one foot to stand on, and that is he doesn't fart in bed, so you shouldn't either. But it's still really dumb, the whole thing. So I'm going to go on to the next thing. The thing about holding your farts is, and telling people, people you love, people you really love to hold in their farts, it, is it's hurt. It hurts, it's hurting, it's hurting others. I mean, you think about it, there are herders out there hurting people, and that hurting spreads. Hurting does hurt bad because it hurts. It hurts because someone did the hurting, and do they hurt? Longer this hurting lasts, it hurts hard. And then you start shoving hooks and forks up there to rid about so it will stop hurting so bad where it hurts. And now you just want to hurt them. Now you have wandering hurt people hurting themselves and hurting others. We all become pain givers. So much hurting is a tsunami of dark and broken souls. Mind is cursed and the hurting swells into all consciousness and makes light of the terror selves chasing you. Hurting is hurting and is hurt and it's hurtful. Hurters hurt because the hurting never stops hurting. Hurting is a hurt lord and a side freak and an anal puppy. Let's stop hurting. Yes. That's the thing, though. People in love. Valentine's Day. They spend a lot of fucking time hurting each other. You know? People in love. I'm not saying that's always true, but... Let me just say this. Um, one of the side effects of the great Obama economic recovery was this general division between how people saw things. And a lot of people, and it's not necessarily gender-specific, but a lot of people fell into the category of, well, Obama said everything's fine, and all everything's fine, and look at the unemployment rate, and we have to believe the data because it must be true. And so when they looked at their significant other, other, and it doesn't matter if it was the husband or wife, and they wondered, well, why can't you get a job, and why can't you find work, and why, why aren't we rich, and why don't we own a home? I was watching TV. I was watching a cable TV show. I was watching some stuff off the internet, and it says if we don't own a home or scumbags and it hasn't gotten better and I don't believe there ever was an economic recovery so during this period of time you had couples men and women women and women men and men you had couples living together and in many cases you had people who saw the world completely differently 
And this led to a lot of pain. And this led to people hurting each other. And I do think that's a thing. I, I think that one of the reasons why people who should love each other have every reason to love each other are currently having difficulty isn't just because the economy is a fuck and it's been that way for a while, but it's because they can't really understand why. The answer that one partner gets is, well, it's your other partner's fault. They did something wrong. They're shitheads. And, and that, I think, is hurting. And, and I think maybe that kind of hurting is what keeps people from loving each other. People ask me about my family. They say, Dan, what about your family? Tell me about your fucking family. I will, baby. We are of the Stegan-clad folk who live among the beaver elk in the great northwest cauldron. Our people, they have sojourned there for 87 billion. 87 billion clan. Since the time of, of Forg the dragon, we made musk soup and lived as swamp bastards, covering our junk with dead fish carcasses and old-style deer poop. Our people strode the world like living jungle kings. Our people armed with bats and chain wrangled with the fester creatures and ate mint pudding and played the harp as we made love. Ships would arrive from far away to bring us the ancient herbs and spices. We drank fuel. We drank diesel fuel. We drank gasoline. We drank it every day. There were times when oft-sought-after monkey varnish was rubbed on our own sadness. Our people fought the scrub wars against the old-style dolphin priests, and we set fire to their wretched homes. We covered the land with smungus and cheese and bred whale ostrich and quail. If we felt hungry or cold, we buried our pain in a sweat magnet. Our enemies were everywhere plotting against us. And our angels had fled long ago. No green leaf nor soft pelt was allowed. Hence the mutilation. The mutilation of future bonds. And the corpse waddling on the edge of madness.
after the great valley was, was laid waste by Zordor, our family wandered Sector 777, where the, mud witch, where the mud witches ran naked across the meadow, rubbing their boobulas as their boobies bounced back and forth. We had fist parties and ate walnut pizza. Our last dead brothers were dumped. Yes, that's how it all ended for, our, for my family. At the body dump. Off of I-27, not far from Scompton. We pulled up there. We saw the army. We saw the various people. Watching over the things that were dying, they took the people, they took their brothers and sisters out of the pickup truck and dumped them over the edge like Vincent Price. That's all you need to know about my family. Here's a quote from Dr. Freckles. Role models and life coaches are just a few degrees removed from cult leaders, Dr. Freckles. And, and before I go on, I knew someone once who, who, who and I think she still is, who, who became a, a life coach. And this is a really bright person and lovely person and good person. And I have no doubt that she helps people. So I'm not here to just mock life coaches arbitrarily. But I got to say this. One of the problems with being a life coach or a role model or a guru is that, well, there's a couple problems. One, you're never going to live up to it, ever. No matter who you are, unless you're Jesus Christ, you are never, ever, ever going to live up to the image that people have of you. So that's one problem is you're doomed. But the other problem is, is that you're just not wise enough. You think you are, but you're not. And because you're not, some people run the risk of thinking of the position they have not as facilitative, not as helpful, not as coaching, but as a position of power. And, and in a position of power, they start acting like little dictators. I, I think that you see this a lot on social media with influencers. You know, they think of themselves as role models, life coaches, gurus. They think of themselves as having an answer to every fucking question. But man, isn't it enjoyable to see them implode? Because that tells you the whole truth. Um, if somebody asks you, are you a role model? I don't think you should say yes. I don't think you should say no. I think you should reject the question completely. We, we don't need role models. We just need adults to act like adults. Not perfect, but for the most part to be decent. And if a kid asks a question, to be willing to be honest and truthful and to teach. This is not to be a role model. This is to be an adult human being. What we are missing are the adults. That's what's missing. That's what's broken. But some of these folks, they become life coaches, gurus, they become role models, pop culture influencers, and they, they become conceited and full of themselves, and they think of themselves as being more than what they are, even to the point that some even deify themselves to some extent. I am a god. 
I am Jesus. I am Jesus returned. You know? I mean, you think about um, Reverend Jim Jones. And, and, I, and there was no message he ever had that I would have liked. The guy was a communist. So I'm no fan of Jim Jones. But you think about Jim Jones. For a lot of the people that followed him, it probably started out as a way to clean up their life. To get off the smack. To get off the drugs. To stop hooking. To turn out the red light. You know? to stop stealing, to stop being violent. It's entirely plausible that that's how Jim Jones got some people. And that applies to Scientology too, by the way. If you're a Scientologist, I, I don't know how to put this, but that entire scheme is about convincing people that they cannot be healthy without that system. If you're not in Scientology, you will not be a healthy person. That is the core message. So, be careful. If you're a life coach, if you're trying to help people, be careful. You know, if you want to know what the light side of the force looks like, it looks like helping and facilitating. It does not look like controlling and owning and possessing. And if you don't know the difference between possessing and facilitating, then you probably shouldn't be a fucking life coach. Next topic. So... I call myself at times a hobo shaman. And what does that mean? Well, shamans, you know, we know what hobos are. Let's just assume hobo, I'm saying homeless dude that rides the rails. Well, I really don't ride the rails. So maybe I'm not technically that kind of hobo. But what does shaman mean? Shaman can mean medicine man. Um, shaman can mean healer. Shaman can mean traveler between worlds. Shaman can mean intermediary. And for many cultures, shaman is more or less like priest, you know, confidant, person I can talk to, person I can explore ideas with. So when I say I'm a hobo shaman, I mean that more or less I think of myself as a person out there doing my ministry, which is ultimately a Christian ministry, um, to the other freaks in the outer zone to all the wanderers, to all the crazy people. I don't mind being an intermediary. I don't mind opening up the veil. I don't mind, you know, taking a couple handfuls of shrooms and taking a walk down that path that leads into the deep mind. I don't mind the partial desolation of self. If you haven't read the book of Ecclesiastes as a Christian, you should. This is your ice cream cone. Live a Christian life, but it's still your ice cream cone. Some of you folks quit smoking, but then you go hella skiing. Some of you people quit drinking, but then you jump out of planes. It's your ice cream cone. You can have it any way you want it. You can dump it on the ground. You can lick it to the very end. You need to be open-minded if you're a hobo shaman. That doesn't mean you don't have values or principles. You do. I have them. I'm a Christian. I have principles. But you should understand that there are many things that are salvation critical, and there are many things that are not. And you should at least be willing to be open-minded and understand the world as you live in it. And yes, you should probably try to find eventually at some point in your life cocaine. There are ghost hooker guardians that watch over you as a hobo shaman. They travel next to you. They are ghost hookers. They are chosen 
they watch over you, and in your nighttime time, sometimes they make love to you. Be my valentine, ghost hooker guardian. If you're a hobo shaman, you don't work no regular job. You don't spend any time fucking around with people. If you're a hobo shaman, you want a hand up, not a hand out. But what you really want is, like I said, cocaine. If you're a hobo shaman, you need to have a commitment to next wave fire thinking. You need to be an orchestrator of feast magic. You need to be a practitioner of weeble rituals involving ear parasites. You need to be a bringer of good times and peace. A hobo shaman's the life of the party fucker. If you're a hobo shaman, you need to love dogs, and dogs will help you find cocaine. If you're a hobo shaman, you don't, you're not afraid of the darkness. You're not afraid of your mind. You're not afraid of going crazy. You're capable of great travels beyond the perimeter, beyond the edge. You're a hobo shaman. If you're a hobo shaman, you can imagine a world. You can imagine a world in a meditative state. You, you start a fire, you crack open a whiskey bottle, you stare into the fire. Maybe you smoke a doobie or a cigarette. If you're a hobo shaman, that's up to you, fucker. You imagine a world, a world that is amazing and endless it's filled with animals and plants and trees and mountains and lakes and coyotes. It's filled with salmon and trout, this world that you imagine in your head. It has planets. It has galaxies. It has all the solar systems and, and even aliens in this world you're imagining. If you're a hobo shaman. You are within the infinite space. You are within untold possibilities as you imagine this world. And now, in this imaginary world, you imagine there is one particular planet. And on this imaginary planet, there's a make-believe person. And this person is imagining worlds. And in this person's imaginary world, this make-believe person, there is another person imagining worlds. And he begins and he begins where it must imagining more worlds and more imagineers. And this is how the hobo shaman heals the world. Yeah, anyways, um if you listen to this podcast and you enjoy it. That's good. I'm happy. Um, sometimes I'm on the money. Sometimes I'm not. You know, my listeners know that in December I injured myself. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, but 
it was bad enough. And for about two and a half weeks, it was very painful. My humerus was in two pieces and it was barely bound together and I hadn't had surgery yet. And the two pieces of bone would clickety clack together or scrape up against each other. And if you can imagine, that's the worst thing that you can, well, it's, it was painful. And they did give me drugs and the drugs helped but they only help up to a point. You still have that uncomfortable clickety-clackety of the two parts of your left humerus clickety-clackety in each other. And that, you know, every time you got up, every time you wanted to take a poop, that, that was your situation. That was your state of affairs. I'm just mentioning this because I feel like I'm getting back on track. My left arm is getting better. Um, the physical therapy is helping, but it's a process, you know? It's a process, and it's going to take a few months to get back to 100%. Um, I have a little bit of money to get by and I am trying to raise money in different ways to include figuring out what kind of work I can do at this point. Um, maybe I do get back into programming computers, but to be honest with you, it hasn't really been a great experience in recent years, so I don't know. But if you listen to this podcast and you enjoy it, you like it, you think it's worthwhile, and you've taken care of your food, your water, your shelter, you've taken care of the people you love, You, if you've stockpiled six months of food for you and your family, you've included food for your cats and your dogs and other animals is also what I'm saying. You know, think about your dog, think about your cat. If you're a hobo shaman and you're not thinking about your dog when you're prepping, you're a dick. Okay, and you're not a hobo shaman. But if you've taken care of the people you love, if you've pre prepared in, in any way that you can that makes sense, because ultimately you could have the biggest basement in the world and it will never be enough. Um, but if you've done the things you think you should do and you paid your bills and you feel safe in your food, water, shelter, and after doing all those things, you still have some money left over, you can donate to this podcast. There is a link to PayPal. Feel free to donate. Um, you know, I... I I have some really generous donors who donate a lot, and it's a blessing. And every time they do, I think, this month I'm going to turn it away. But the fact is, I haven't really been doing that well economically in recent years. And I don't blame anybody else for it but myself. It's just that's the truth. And so it's I can't really say I don't want this or I don't need this. I do. But I would say I wish I had more people who could donate less. Um I, I wish that were true. It's just not right now. We can talk about censorship and whatnot, and all of that feels irrelevant. I mean, I'm living on the same fucking Mount St. Helens that you are, and I'm doing a podcast. If you want to donate to it on Mount St. Helens sometime in April, early May of, of 1980, if you want to imagine that's a priority, that's okay. I enjoy doing it, and I have friends out there who listen. That's why I'll keep doing it, even if it doesn't make any money. I'll do it until I can't. Um, but I can't tell you it's it's worth you know anything to you other than the enjoyment you get, and I can't tell you it's a priority. All I can say is if you want to donate, you can donate. If you don't want to donate, you don't have to. And if you don't have money to donate, something you can do is just forward links. You know, if If you get my email... Forward those links on other people. If you listen to me on Spotify, take the Spotify link and say, listen, this guy's interesting. He's a little bit crazy. Or you can take the blog link and do the same. This is something you can do, and it doesn't cost you any money at all. Um, if you're on social media, you can do the same thing. It doesn't cost you a dime. 
And if you think my podcast is shitty, the good news is, is I waited till the end to beg for money. So chances are you stopped listening about 45, 50 minutes ago. Okay. So for Tuesday, Valentine's Day, February the 14th, 2023, Bo Blimtock. It's almost 9.20 a.m. here in the mountain state of Utah. And as a duly authorized hobo shaman of the Christian sect, I hope you find love out there. But, but baby, be careful. Because love is fucking dangerous. And I hope you find a person you can hug out there. But baby, be fucking careful. Because if they're hugging you, they can pull a knife out. And then stab you in the back. So baby, be careful. Love is a dagger. But if you do have someone you love that is not likely to stab you or to cut you or to hurt you, if you do have somebody you love in your life, male, female, <laughs> you pick the gender. If you have someone you love in your life and that person's there for you and you're there for them, then God bless because there are many things I believe that makes our Lord in heaven smile. Many things. I think happy families, raising kids, makes the Lord smile. I think when we choose not to dump poison into a river, the Lord smiles. I think when we're happy and we celebrate each other, because by the way, when you're at a party, it's called a fellowship offering. Believe it or not, according to the Old Testament, you're worshiping God, unless you're explicitly worshiping the other guy. God smiles when he sees us happy with each other. God smiles when he sees us capable of living with each other without violence. God smiles. And if you've found love in your life and there's somebody out there that you care for and cares for you, that gives you a hug and doesn't charge you 50 bucks, then God bless. And may that blessing surround you your whole life. You know, may you have love and may you be loved and may you know how to love others. On Valentine's Day, February the 14th, 2023.